the Resilient Pedagogy Podcast with your host, Travis Thurston. On this episode, we discuss distracted, why students can't focus and what you can do about it with special guest, James Lane. This is the space where we discuss practical teaching strategies to overcome distance, disruption, and distraction. We also explore how approaching course design, classroom communities, and pedagogies of care can humanize our learning environments. James Lang is a professor of English and the director of the Center for Teaching Excellence at Assumption College. He is the author of several books on teaching in higher ed, including small teaching, and the topic of our conversation today, Distracted, Why Students Can't Focus and What You Can Do About It. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to discussing this topic with you today. Uh, before we get started, I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, as an emerging term, resilient pedagogy has been defined uh, in a number of different ways, and it continues to be applied in varying contexts. What does resilient pedagogy mean to you? I guess I would think about it sort of in parallel to like universal design for learning. So universal design for learning obviously is where we make decisions about the course um, so that students have multiple um, access points. So if we create an assessment, for example, where students have to give a presentation, then we, we might offer another way to do that, like having them record a video instead or you know, do the presentation um, in a different kind of context. Uh, and so that, that gives kind of multiple access points. And I, would, I guess I would think resilient pedagogy is kind of similar, but just kind of coming at it from another perspective anything that I'm doing in the class is capable of being adapted into different formats um, so that when change and disruption occurs. So um, I don't know, maybe it's kind of coming at it from slightly different angles, but that same idea is that this, this one thing that I'm using um, is capable of, maybe it's just it's like student and teacher ways to approach it, right? Like, so the students can approach that thing from multiple avenues and same for me, like a teaching strategy or approach I create I can approach it from multiple avenues, like whether it's online or hybrid or face-to-face. -face. Um, so I guess I would, that's how I would think about it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, there, there are definitely so many different ways to, to attack that term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's a really helpful term, actually. I mean, I first heard it from Josh Eiler, um, and you know, as soon as he, as soon as I read, it, I was like, oh yeah, that 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 makes sense, and it's absolutely something that we should be um, thinking about and working toward, not only right now, but you know, going forward in the future, um, because of course, one of the things that I think, well, from where I live, where we live here in New England, um, you know, there's disruptions throughout the winter. Um, but I think one of the things that we've all recognized is that doesn't have to happen anymore. Um, so when there's, you know, a, what would normally have been like a snow disruption, we can keep teaching, um, but we need to be able to make sure that what we're doing is adaptable to um, doing something online from our snowed in houses. Absolutely true. No, no excuse for snow days anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of sad in a nostalgic way for those of us who loved snow days <laughs> and have fond memories of snow days, but that's okay. Good. So on this episode, uh, I wanted to highlight uh, just a few of the sections from your book uh, that really impacted me. Uh, but having said that, uh, before readers even get uh, to page one in your book, you lead with this fantastic quote from Mary Oliver. Uh, Instructions for living a life. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. Why did you choose this quote to begin your book? 
Mary Oliver for me is like the poet of attention. Uh, so many of her poems are about like kind of essentially calling us to wake up and like look at the world with a new sense of wonder. And I think a lot of poetry does that. Um, but, and you know, there's the kind of um, argument from like the Russian theorists that, you know, estrangement or defamiliarization, that that's what literature does for us. It, it forces us to kind of step back and see like common experiences or the everyday world in a new light. And I think Mary Oliver's poem really does that. Her poetry in general does that really well. And that poem in particular um, makes it very explicit. And I would argue that that's what we're trying to do in teaching as well, right? So like we're seeing, you know, we're trying to get students to, to think um, to see the world around them in new ways, uh, to kind of be astonished at the wonders of our discipline, and to, to come up with like creative new solutions to, to old problems. And the way we do that is like we find new lenses with which to view things. Um, so I think the idea that, that, that the kind of three parts in that, right, like pay attention is one something that we obviously want students to do in, in our courses, to our teaching, to one another. Be astonished, and I think that's a really important thing. Like, recognize there's something amazing here if you look at it in the right way, and then tell us about it. Like, so then, what did you learn? Like, and show me how you're going to solve this problem now, or what? Write me an essay about what you found amazing in this. And so, it's a pretty good description, actually, of what we hope for in education. Yeah, I like that. It that really resonates with me. That idea that that as we're as we're engaging, as we're learning new things that that we should be astonished it kind of kind of grabs onto that idea of curiosity and then and then of course like sharing those things right right and that's part you know i mean the, and this connects i mean i actually think a lot of the research on attention that i did and the practices i saw are, are tied into so many other just general good practices of teaching so attention i mean you might actually consider like that the 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 arguments that I'm making about attention and distraction are just another lens of like looking at how to teach effectively, right? So I'm just trying to kind of provide another avenue into teaching strategies that are recommended through other ways that maybe have become overly familiar to people, right? So like, you know, people hear things like think, pair, share, and these common active learning strategies that are recommended. And those can become very familiar to us as teachers and think, yeah, I've heard about that. I do that, et cetera. Well, here's a new lens to which to look at, like why some of those things are important and valuable. Um, in the same way that like in, you know, two books ago, I tried to do the same thing with looking at cheating, right? Like, so if we look at the um, teaching and learning process through the like lens of academic integrity and cheating, we can also kind of start to see things in a different way and maybe come up with um, some, some new strategies and recognize the value of some familiar strategies that we have um, as we're trying to teach. So later on in your book, you're, as you're addressing um, this concept of curiosity, um, you, you talk about course quest questions, um, like from uh, Rebecca Zambrano. Uh, so a couple that stood out to me were like, what fills you with a sense of wonder or, or what large questions remain unanswered in your field uh, as, as a way to frame a course and kind of spark curiosity in students. So specifically you point out that we can't inherently force students to become curious about a topic, right? That we can simply kind of provide that environment so that there are ways, ways to provide the environment for students to become curious. Uh, so I guess the question is, what are some ways that instructors can create a learning environment that sparks curiosity? 
Yeah, I mean, I think what we have to do is sort of foreground the questions and foreground the problems and questions that are, you know, really the fascinating ones of our discipline. Um, and that can be like these kinds of big overarching questions like, you know, what's the best form of government that, you know, creates justice for the most amount of people, right? These are, I think, questions that people find inherently interesting if they're given a few minutes to think about them and their implications. Uh, you know, Michael Sandel is very famous, the philosopher at Harvard for opening his class, there's videos available that people can watch. You know, he starts his class with the presentation of this classic, the trolley problem, and then invites people to think, okay, well, what would you do, right? And then immediately you're drawn in, like, well, what would I do? And then, and then you have to think through the implications of it. Um, but you know, you can even do it, like I start my introduction to literature class typically um, with a poem called My Papa's Waltz by Theodore Rothke, um, which presents this sort of description of this boy remembering when his father after drinking would come home and uh, after a day's work and would sort of waltz him around the kitchen. And the poem has got like some sort of hints that it's like a nostalgic memory of a positive experience and some other hints that there's like violence underlying here and that, that there's a negative side. So on the first day of the semester, I show this poem to my students and I say, okay, you know, here's this poem. And, and most students have, you know, something like this that they remember, like they're thinking back about their own childhood and maybe some negative aspects of their experience with their parents. And I'll say to them, okay, is this a negative, you know, is, it, is, is this a poem about child abuse or is this a poem about like sort of a warm memory? And, and even though it's just like a, you know, a simple little thing, they kind of get interested and they're like, huh, like, let's see. And like, how would I know? And then they have to like look carefully at the words. And that then allows me to introduce, um, you know, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be like asking these kinds of questions about really interesting poems that speak to all of our life's experiences and then trying to use the, the, the words and the, uh, the specific details from the poem in order to come up with our answers. So, um, you know, it can be done in these kinds of big open-ended philosophical ways like Michael Sandel does or like in these more kind of smaller ways. But to just begin by letting students know this is like an open-ended question. This, there's something interesting here. Let's try to explore it together. It, it kind of reminds me or, or calls to mind uh, John Keller's motivational design and, and his arcs model. And attention, of course, is one of, one of the, the points that he talks about. And he has some of these uh, process questions, like how, how do I capture uh, student attention how do I maintain student attention? And I think thinking through those questions for ourselves um, really can provide, provide an opportunity for us to think about, well, what, what would help the students to kind of process through this? What's interesting to me? What sparks my attention? And, and what can I do to help the students kind of get that same spark? Absolutely. And, you know, again, like the idea that attention here can kind of link us to other you know, commonly recommended teaching approaches and practices. We know that teacher enthusiasm helps, right? So like, you know, if the teacher is enthusiastic and interested in the material, it's more likely the students are gonna be as well. And this in part comes from like the literature on joint attention, right? So like, we know that attention is, is, is shared. So like, if you're standing on a street corner, looking up at a building, um, people are gonna come by walking by and are gonna look up at that building because we tend to like follow the attention of other people. And likewise, when someone's enthusiastic and interested about something, that tends to generate more enthusiasm and interest amongst the um, people around. So, you know, again, we want to just, I think it, you kind of see it that if you think about attention, think hard about attention and what uh, is going to invite the attention of your students, um, 
you're going to start to see clear implications for your teaching and connections to maybe other things that you've thought about or learned or know about um, effective teaching. You make another point in the book that often uh, there are ebbs and flows in the tempos of our teaching. Um, and you provide some helpful strategies like, like signposting um, that can help us structure our class. How can instructors build some of these things like signposting uh, into their class sessions? Signposting for me is a huge one. I don't know, maybe this is just me, but like, I know whenever I go to like a talk or something, <laughs> there's always in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, how long is this gonna go? And like, what's like the main idea here? Or like, how many points is the person gonna make? Because it's hard, it's hard. Like, unless you're actively taking notes, which, you know, we often don't do, like if I'm just listening to like a colleague lecture or something, um, you know, it's hard to kind of like keep yourself oriented. And that, that lack of orientation, you know, it, so your mind starts to drift after a while. Um, so I think a really helpful thing we can do for students is to just sort of make the, the structure of the experience transparent. And like the two easiest ways I know how to do that are, you know, if you're in a classroom, put it on the board, like segment off a little piece of the board and say, okay, there's four parts to class today. And then occasionally as you're going through, okay, now we're, you know, in part three, that's very easy to do. It takes no extra time. Um, but I think it can really help students, you know, if they're in like in the middle of a thing, okay, well, I, yeah, I'm going to just keep focused here because I know we're about to do this next, right? And like, so I've got to listen to this because I know that the next thing is going to be an active thing in which I'm going to have to use what, what the instructor is talking about now. Um, if you're teaching an online class, uh, you can easily just put something like this on a slide, right? And just sort of introduce it at the beginning of, of the um, session and just kind of remind people as you go, right? So remember there were three parts today, so we're now in our, our final part and we'll be done here in about 15 minutes, whatever it might be. You don't have to do it constantly, but I just think the more that that we can do, um, the more we help people kind of stay grounded in the experience. Uh, and that grounding is going to kind of keep people from just doing what, I, what I'm often doing in these like experiences, which is like, how long is this going to go on again? Like, what's the main <laughs> Right. Those are things that send our minds off into other places. Now, you also addressed focus in a number of different ways um, in the book, which is a, a topic that really interests me. And you argue that, in essence, we can achieve focus in teaching and learning uh, through what you call signature attention activities. Um, how can signature attention activities help our students to focus? So, I mean, the core way to think about a signature attention activities, it's, it's designed to kind of renew the attention of your students to something like that's really essential in your discipline and that is really amazing, but that like familiarity or just kind of the, 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 the actor process of just being in class over and over again in a kind of routine way has kind of dulled. It's dulled the, their ability to kind of see the amazingness of this thing or the importance of it. So signature attention activity is designed to kind of really reopen that sense of wonder uh, that Mary Oliver talked about, right? To pay attention and be astonished. Um, so that's what a signature attention activity is. Um, and I always get, uh, you know, a couple of examples that I like to give people are, um, I observed a theologian on my campus who was teaching and she had students, you know, reading the first few paragraphs of the book of Genesis, which to many of the students was familiar. They like had heard this story before. They knew it, many of them had read it in um, other, maybe like in, you know, if they had gone to like a, a religious school, uh, secondary education. So what she did is she put the students in pairs, um, had them sit across from one another and read the text aloud very slowly, stopping after each sentence or two to say, okay, 
what's important here? Like, what do I notice? What's, what's unique about this? And I observed her doing this and just, you know, the, the, the things that students came up with were really amazing. Um, and afterwards, when they had their discussion, the students were kind of expressing their wonderment at like, you know, I've read this text many times before and I've never thought of this. And it was because she created a structure in which they had the opportunity to, to look really closely and she prompted it. So that's what I think signature attention activities are designed to do. And the thing about them is, you know, it's not something you want to do every day, right? Like they should be kind of seated deliberately throughout the course. So every, you know, two or three weeks or every week or whatever it might be, um, how do I want to kind of stop things and do something kind of creative and interesting? And I give, you know, some other examples of what that looks like in the book. Um, but really, they're just kind of creative pedagogical strategies to renew the wonder of your students at the essentials of your course. That's such a great uh, way to frame some of the things uh, that we do in our classes. I, I really love that. And I think they're, they're, they're like a fun, you know, it's like, that's part of where teaching is fun, right? To come up with creative new strategies. That's like the best part of teaching, right? And then to be able to kind of think about, all right, what's really going to energize my class today? And, you know, draw inspiration from your fellow teachers, from experiences you've had outside of school, um, whatever it might be. And to try to come up with some kind of new interesting teaching strategy that's that's you know that's the best part as far as i'm concerned that that's what it's all about yeah, yeah. <laughs> good so my last my last question for you today jim is i know very often we well even in the subtitle of our podcast we say uh we say practical strategies to overcome distance disruption and distraction and so we, we point to this idea that distraction should be viewed in, in kind of this as this negative thing. So when, when, can, when can distraction um, actually be viewed in, in a positive light? Yeah, I mean, so, the, you know, we, we know that mind wandering actually is not a bad thing. Um, mind wandering actually can be a source of creativity. Um, so like letting your attention just kind of drift. And, and you know, I've recommended in uh, a Chronicle article I wrote for um, how faculty can sort of improve their attention and abilities that like taking a walk, for example, where there's, there's good research that shows that taking a walk and just letting your mind drift, um, that can be like a great source of creative thinking. And, you know, if you're stuck at a problem in your desk and you go walk up for 30 minutes, just the, both the act of walking, but then also kind of getting out in your environment and seeing new things, um, that can actually be really helpful to people. So it's not like we should be this and this is part of my whole approach, right? Like focus on attention and don't worry so much about like when your mind drifts or the fact that you get distracted sometimes, because that's not always a bad thing. Um, the question we have to ask ourselves is when is that appropriate, like in the classroom, right? So, you know, a student, um, we might think about the fact that we have such a limited amount of time with our students um, that we might favor in that environment, the kinds of things that are going to kind of keep their attention uh, more focused, uh, but that we want to then encourage them to, you know, when they're doing their research or when they're trying to come up with solutions to the questions that we ask them, that then, yeah, absolutely, go take a walk, let your mind drift, or, you know, search, bounce around on the internet for a while, like, or look at Twitter, like, I've gotten plenty of good ideas um, for things that I was working on from just kind of random things I saw on social media. So like there's a, there's a time and a place where that might work. And maybe even in class, there is a time where we would say, you know, um, for example, you know, I'm gonna introduce a new topic and I want to, students to tell me, okay, what do people say about this? Like, what are people's common perceptions of that? 
great, let's all jump on social media, put in the hashtag and see what comes up. And like, that could be cool and fun and interesting to do. Um, so, you know, we, we want to think deliberately about it. That's, you know, distraction and, and attention can both actually lead to learning and deeper thinking. And my, and my argument all along is just, let's pay attention to it and be deliberate about it um, and try to consider how uh, attention is going to support their learning and maybe leave some opportunities for a little distraction and mind wandering too. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, it's, it's, Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to have you, have you on the show. You bet.